Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Ever notice that every once in a while when you're reading about your favorite band, the concept of influences comes up? It usually comes in the form of a question, such as, uh, uh, who did you listen to when you were growing up? If you asked Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, he'd say Kiss and Judas Priest and other hard rock bands. If you asked Noel Gallagher, he'd tell you the, the Beatles and T-Rex and The Jam. Michael Stipe, Patti Smith and the Velvet Underground. But what if you asked Trent Reznor the same question? How would Marilyn Manson respond? What about Tool? Or White Zombie? Or Courtney Love, for that matter? Well, they'd probably give you a bunch of different answers, but they would all have one name in common. A group that existed for barely four years and released just four albums. But in that time, they became one of the most influential bands of the 80s. And what they did is still having an effect at the dawn of the 21st century. The group? Bauhaus. Bauhaus? What's the big deal about Bauhaus? This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is a program in the What's the Big Deal series. This is a collection of occasional programs that try to explain why today's music sounds like it does. Alternative rock has been around long enough so that it's been enjoyed by several generations of fans. And over the last 25 years, we've also seen several generations of performers move through the system. But the bands that are out there today just didn't materialize out of thin air. Their sounds, their attitudes, and their images were shaped by the music they listened to when they were growing up. And now that they're famous, and when that question of influences comes up, a lot of big-name acts will drop the same names again and again and again. And that's what these programs are about. Sounds from the past that can be heard in the present. Sounds that are still shaping the future. This time, our target is a four-piece from the former shoemaking capital of England. And if it weren't for them, there probably wouldn't be a Nine Inch Nails or a Marilyn Manson or a White Zombie. This is Bauhaus. <laughs> Bauhaus, the band often described as the godfathers of goth. And now that they've been resurrected 15 years after they broke up, interest is once again running high. Ticket sales for their reunion tour set land speed records in many cities during the summer of 1998. Longtime fans fondly remember Bauhaus from the first time around, while newer fans want to know more about this legendary and highly influential band from the 80s. So, here we go. Peter Murphy, the singer, raised in a devout Catholic family, elegant, impossibly thin, great cheekbones. Daniel Ash, guitarist, art school student and major David Bowie fan. And brothers Kevin and David Haskins, although we know David by the initial of his middle name, John. He prefers to be called David J. Before there was Bauhaus, there were a series of bands. This Bag is Not a Toy, The Submerged Tenth, The Craze, Jack Plug, and The Sockets, none of which went anywhere. By 1977, everything was starting to come together. They thought about calling themselves The Drugs, or Freeze. But four days before their first gig, they settled on Bauhaus 1919, the name and year of the beginning of a German art movement. Their first show? 
December 31, 1978. Within a few weeks, their name had been shortened to just Bauhaus, and by the summer of 1979, they were ready to record their first single. It was an atmospheric piece featuring a bossa nova beat, a three-note bass line by David J., a reggae feel from Daniel, and a rather erotic, vampiric approach by Peter that was inspired by the actor who used to play Dracula. There were no special effects other than a cheap echo machine and the sounds Daniel could get out of his amplifier. And it was long, clocking in at more than nine and a half minutes. Now, normally a song that long spells career suicide, especially if it's your first single, but an indie label called Small Wonder decided to take a chance. And in August 1979, Small Wonder issued their one and only Bauhaus single. They called it Bella Lugosi's Dead. Alone in a dark room, the Count. Bella Lugosi's Dead. The cult of Bauhaus began to grow. The theater and romance and horror and angst of goth went far beyond the real-life doom and gloom of the early 80s, even with the Cold War and the global recession. Goth fans figured that, uh, well, since we're all going to hell anyway, we might as well dress the part and dance towards the apocalypse. The first Bauhaus album was released in the fall of 1980. It was called In a Flat Field. Bauhaus, from their 1980 debut album In a Flat Field, a record that set the pace for the British goth movement. More on these guys, coming up. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Between January 1981 and July of 1983, Bauhaus released three more studio albums featuring songs with titles like Of Lilies and Remains, Exquisite Corpse, and Who Killed Mr. Moonlight? The group also bought a hearse from an undertaker and converted it into their official touring vehicle. They called it their Bauhaus Mobile. Meanwhile, Bauhaus was getting some exposure through other means. In 1981, a director was looking for an actor to appear in a TV commercial for Maxell Cassettes. He was shown a picture of Peter Murphy and he decided that he was the guy. Peter shot two of these commercials and was paid a grand total of £10,000 for his time. Now, it sounds like a lot, but magazine ads based on those commercials are still being used more than 15 years later, and we've all seen them. You know the picture of the guy sitting in the chair being blown away by the music coming out of his stereo? The guy in the chair? That's Peter Murphy. At about the same time, Bauhaus received another big break. David Bowie had become a big fan, and he lobbied for the band to be cast in a vampire movie he was doing called The Hunger. And there's a scene in the movie, shot in a London club, ironically called Heaven, and the band singing, Bella Lugosi's Dead, is, of course, Bauhaus. So what made Bowie a big Bauhaus fan? Well, first of all, they were the most vampiric band around. What better choice for a vampire movie? And secondly, Bowie just loved what Bauhaus had done with one of his old songs. 
That cover of Ziggy Stardust, combined with the role in The Hunger and Peter Murphy's appearance in the Max L commercials, helped make the third Bajas record, The Sky's Gone Out, the biggest seller of their career. Unfortunately, a series of events conspired against the band, which halted almost any further progress. Egos got in the way, creative differences, the pressures of touring, and then Peter got very sick with pneumonia, just as the group was scheduled to start recording their next album. Now, this last bit is very important because while Peter was in the hospital, the rest of the band was forced to go ahead with the album. And while they were working on the record, they found out that things worked very well without Peter. I mean, who needed old cheekbones anyway? The resulting album was called Burning from the Inside. And this was the last official Bauhaus single. All guys tumble on the cutting room floor. Look like small on the cutting room floor. By June 1983, it was obvious that Bauhaus was not long for this world. The group had become divided into two factions, Peter Murphy and everyone else. It became a battle of egos and it became apparent that something had to give. There was one final gig, July 5th, 1983, at the Hammersmith Palais in London. No, this is how it goes. As the gig at the Hammersmith Palais came to an end, David J. grabbed the mic and said, Rest in peace. And that was that. Bauhaus was dead. Or so everyone thought. Back after this. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music. The podcast edition with Alan Cross. After July 5th, 1983, Bauhaus splintered in three directions. Peter Murphy briefly formed a band called Dolly's Car, which lasted for one album before he went solo. We'll come back to him later. Meanwhile, Daniel Ash and Kevin Haskins stuck together and formed a band called Tones on Tail with Glenn Campling, the Bauhaus guitar roadie. They released a bunch of material, but only one song really had any impact. And it was a total accident. The song was the B-side of a 12-inch single from a forgotten song called Lions. It was a, it was a nonsense track, thrown together at the last second because they needed a song for the B-side. But oddly enough, it became a huge hit, first in Germany, and then in North America. It was called Go. Alright, we've accounted for Peter Murphy, Daniel Ash, and Kevin Haskins. Where did David J. go? Well, at first he went solo too. Then he formed a group called The Sinister Ducks, but they didn't last very long. Then he was invited to produce an album for a group called The Jazz Butcher, and he enjoyed the experience so much that he actually ended up joining the band for a while. Meanwhile, Daniel and Kevin were having second thoughts about the end of Bauhaus. Maybe they pulled the plug too quickly. Maybe they should try again. Kevin thought that this was a great idea, but unfortunately Peter Murphy wanted none of it. So the group simply went back to what they were doing before the burning from the inside sessions, when Peter was in the hospital. The three of them, they'd go it alone. Now all they needed was a name. 
That's when someone noticed the name of a comic book. A comic book called Love and Rockets. As Love and Rockets, Daniel Ash, David Jay, and Kevin Haskins were far more successful than Bauhaus could have ever been, selling millions of records around the world, playing huge headline tours, and even having a top 40 hit in America. Meanwhile, Peter Murphy was beginning to withdraw from Western society entirely. In the spring of 1990, he released an album that sold enough copies to allow him to move his family to Turkey, where he began to study Islam, eventually becoming a Muslim. The album was called Deep. By the mid-90s, things were kind of quiet as far as everyone was concerned. Love and Rockets had fallen on hard times. Solo records from Daniel Ash and David Jay had failed to have much of an impact. And Peter Murphy was, well, he was kind of running out of money in Turkey. It cost money to study Arabic full-time. And the cash he made translating books and writing music for his wife's dance company paled into comparison what could be made if he just kissed and made up with his old bandmates. So what would you do? You let bygones be bygones, and you do what every other old band is doing these days. You get back together for a reunion tour so you can capitalize on the 80s retro craze that just won't go away. So that's exactly what Bauhaus did. After years of being asked about a reunion, Peter Murphy finally gave in. Fifteen years and four days after that last show in London, Bauhaus appeared on stage at the Hollywood Athletic Club. A couple thousand people gladly paid $55 U.S. to be there. That gig was followed by several gigs at the Hollywood Palladium. 7,000 tickets were sold in just over 15 minutes. That was encouraging enough for a full-tilt reunion tour to be launched. Most of those shows were sellouts. And, I guess, everybody lived happily ever after. Back in a moment. More of the ongoing history of new music. The podcast edition with Alan Cross. So, let's ask the question again. What's the big deal about Bauhaus? One, the group was one of the founders and pioneers of the original British goth movement. The glamour, the energy, the art school sensibilities, and the attitude of doom and gloom proved to be infectious. That sound and look and attitude spread throughout the world, ultimately resulting in bands like Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, and a couple thousand other dark bands. And don't forget the impact Courtney Love says Bauhaus had on her. Same thing with Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins. And point two, post-Bajas musical projects have been excellent and influential in their own way. Love and Rockets has sold millions of records. Tones on Tail still has a cult following, especially in Japan for some reason. And Peter Murphy continues to have his loyal fans. And don't forget, when he went on tour to promote his Deep album, he introduced thousands of people to his opening act, a little band out of Cleveland called Nine Inch Nails. And if you're into this music and you haven't heard Daniel Ash's 1991 album, Coming Down, go buy it. This is a really good solo record. If you would like to know more about this incredibly important band, you should pick up a copy of a 1998 greatest hit CD called Crackle. You'll be surprised at how good the music sounds, even today. Technical production for all this is handled by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. <laughs> 
You've been listening to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play. 